to be with you guys today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Diana Henderson, and I'm usually down in the dirty south, as my husband says. At our South End campus, we get to be campus pastors there, but I'm excited to be with you guys here at Central. Are you guys happy to be in the house of God today? Come on, it's a beautiful fall day, all 83 degrees, right? Awesome. Well, listen, at Freedom House, we are one house with many rooms. So in addition to Central and our South End campus, we have our Lake Norman campus, and we've got people joining live with us online from Germany. Come on, somebody. Massachusetts, North Carolina, South Carolina, Michigan, Florida, Virginia, Hawaii, New York, Indiana, Georgia, New Jersey, Maine, and Tennessee. Let's welcome those online. So glad that you guys are with us. So we do things a little bit differently here at Freedom House. If you're new, we have what's called a teaching team. It's a group of communicators that rotate around every campus every weekend so that you get a live word of God. Real people with real problems serving a real God. Can I get an amen? That is a vision from our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell, who I just adore. I'm so thankful for what they do fighting for us on the front lines. There's so much that they do that goes unnoticed, but I just want to give it up for them. Can we give it up for pastors Troy and Penny Maxwell? All right, guys, I need you to turn your imaginations on. And I want you, I love how some people like literally did this. (laughs) That's what I do. So I want you to just picture, if you have to close your eyes, feel free to do that. Picture a courtroom. And in this courtroom, God is sitting in the judge's seat. And Jesus is the defense attorney. Now, the enemy dressed in a red velvet suit The Satan, the accuser himself, is serving as the prosecuting attorney. And you are the defendant because you're on trial. Every wrongdoing, misstep, mistake you've ever made is being brought against you in the form of charges. Every ill will... Anything terrible, poor, bad, imperfect that you've ever participated in has been brought in the form of hard evidence against you. And listen, you're facing a sentence of not only the death penalty, but you're facing an eternity in hell, suffering in the lake of fire. This is the case of dark versus light. Y'all can't tell that I love criminal investigative shows, can you? All right, so we've been in a series all month called Dark versus Light. And listen, since the beginning of time, darkness has plagued humanity. In fact, the enemy literally has a vendetta against us to try and see us succumb to the darkness. Going back to the Garden of Eden, 
The enemy, in the form of a serpent, literally tempted Adam and Eve to disobey, to eat of the forbidden fruit, and to fall away from God. The enemy's sole purpose is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Now, maybe you're going, why does he have it out for us? Well, let me tell you. It's because we sit in his seat, and he's jealous. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 14, verse 12, in reference to Satan, he said, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You see, Satan, in that scripture, Daystar, it translates to the name Lucifer, which literally means bearer of light. Because the enemy, before he was, in, in, before he was cast out of heaven, he was an angel, a high-ranking angel at that. But then his pride got to him. His head swelled up. He was cast out of heaven, and he took a third of the angels with him, Right? And as a result of that, he can't stand that we stand in the position that he once was. We represent the light that he once was. Now, 2 Corinthians says that now he walks around masquerading himself as light. Because he's a counterfeit. He's a fake. And he uses darkness as a weapon to try and thwart our steps. Darkness seeks to draw us in and welcome us in. Darkness will fill our head with lies and deception. Darkness works to create uncertainty that would have us question the very one who created it all. And darkness can feel overwhelming Sometimes darkness takes us to a place where we just don't see a way out. Can I tell you, my friends, there's good news. We don't have to prove ourselves innocent today because Jesus is the defense attorney and in concert with the Holy Spirit, the witness, he's already vindicated us. He's already proven us uh, uh, as innocent Y'all, that's good news. You can clap for that. Come on. Jesus said in John 8, 12, he's speaking to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so hold on a second. So if I walk in light as a follower of Jesus Christ, does that mean I'll never experience darkness? No. Why is that? Because we are here on, in this world. And the enemy, the destroyer, the accuser is the ruler of this world. So as long as we're here, the case of darkness will persist against us all the way until judgment day. Jesus even told us in John 16, he said, I told you this so you would have peace. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, I've already overcome the world. Now, it's always darkest before the dawn. Have you ever thought about that? That it's always darkest in your circumstance 
before you experience a breakthrough. You know, that phrase was written by a historian and theologian in the year 1650. And he wrote it because he was recognizing that it always feels worst in our circumstances before it gets better. You know, it's interesting because from an astronomy perspective, the darkest part of the night is literally the hour right before dawn. And dawn, by definition, is the very first time in the day when you can even see the first glimmer of light. Some of us are in the darkest hour of our circumstance right now. Maybe you're struggling in a financial crisis and you are struggling to see how in the world you're gonna get yourself out of this. Maybe your marriage is falling apart and your spouse has fallen away from God, isn't in church today and maybe doesn't even claim that the word of God is the source of truth anymore. Maybe you're suffering from an abusive leader in your workplace and you're constantly being beaten down. Maybe you're waiting on a wayward child to come back home, believing for your prodigal son or daughter to come back home. And it's so dark in your circumstance right now that you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Can I just tell you, you're not alone. You know, my husband teases me when I watch these criminal shows because he's like, why, why do you watch those? Because three minutes in, you've already pinpointed the enemy, like the murderer, but then you watch the rest of the show all the way through to the end. And I'm like, darn straight, because I want to see justice brought to bear. Anybody else? You want to see justice brought to bear? Well, let me tell you, in your darkness, don't give up. You are on the edge of breakthrough, and justice is coming. In fact, there's stories in the Bible where we get to read, where people experience the darkness, the darkest of their hour, but through their story, we get to experience encouragement and hope and action that we can apply to our own circumstance. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna visit the darkness of some of the disciples in the Bible so that we can learn through their eyes how to apply to our own darkness. Luke writes in the book of Acts an account that he experienced with his disciple friends, Paul and Silas. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Turn to your neighbor and say, uh-oh. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Turn to your other neighbor and say, yikes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. How many of you know she wasn't joining in on their testimony? She was mocking them day in and day out, mocking them. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed 
He turned around and he said to that spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to get out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Can I just pause for a second? Believers, can you imagine if we were to operate in the same authority that Paul did in casting out that annoying spirit on the regular, we might just see the miraculous come to bear. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates. And they said, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar. They're advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice false accusations. Verse 22, it says, the crowd joined in on the the attack. Turn to your neighbor and say, pile on. And the magistrates ordered Paul and Silas to be stripped, beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, which y'all, if you're not familiar, this was a torture practice in that time. They would take strips of leather that were entangled with shards of bone and they would literally whip people, which it would tear the flesh from their backs. They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Y'all, that's a bad day. Literally, they're on their way to pray, and all of a sudden, the tide turns. They're beaten, they're flogged. You know, I don't imagine that my darkness includes that kind of physical abuse, but if you can just for a second figuratively translate their darkness to your own, you can kind of put yourself there, right? When you feel totally surrounded by darkness. Now, what I want us to unpack here is to understand that this attack was an attack, a battlefield of their mind, darkness trying to trip them up. And listen, there's aspects in their darkness that I wanna call out so that we can identify these same tactics in our own darkness. Number one, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to do so. Not only do note takers go to heaven, but you'll remember what we talked about. Number one, darkness pursues. Darkness pursues. Literally, this fortune teller, the spirit on the inside of her was following them, taunting them day after day after day. Isn't that what the enemy tries to do in our mind? Taunting us with lies, deception, doubt, fear, Worry. I had a group of ladies over at my house this week, and I don't know how we got on the subject, but we all started talking about the narrative of the enemy in our own minds. And we started vocalizing what he says to each one of us You're an imposter. You're damaged goods. You'll never amount to anything. And man, there was power in bringing to light what the darkness says, because darkness pursues. And what does darkness sound like? It sounds like condemnation. 
sounds like guilt. It sounds like shame. Well, the scripture tells us, Romans 8 verse 1, it says, There's now for, There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. In other words, when you're walking with the Lord, the voices of condemnation that you hear are not from God. And we need to be able to pick those out in the midst of the circumstance that we're facing. Number two, the battlefield of the mind, a tactic of darkness, is that darkness falsely accuses. Darkness falsely accuses. Now, wait a second, Pastor D, didn't you say we were guilty? Well, according to the law, every single one of us falls short. So by definition, yes, we are guilty. However, in the book of Romans, it says that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous. So we don't have to worry about the guilty verdict because we've already been proven innocent by faith in Jesus. But in Paul and Silas's case, it says that they were brought before the magistrates and it was false accusation. Who's they? Who's they? You know, my kids sometimes will come home from school and they're like, they were picking on me. I'm like, who's they? Give me a name. Come on. Because you got to identify the enemy. You got to call out the enemy. And let me just tell you, the enemy is not that person that's coming after you on social media. The enemy is not that person that lives in your neighborhood that keeps coming at you with stuff. No, the enemy is they defined in Ephesians 6.12. It says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against they, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Darkness is going to come after you with false accusation. And it's important that we recognize that we've already been proven innocent. Number three, darkness enlists the crowd. Darkness enlists the crowd. Paul and Silas were being persecuted, and the scripture says that the crowd came against them as well. Isn't that what the enemy tries to do? To make us feel isolated? To make us feel outnumbered? You're the only one who's facing this. You're the only one who's feeling this. If he can just render you alone, he can render you defenseless. He can defeat you. You know, in Gideon's case, in the book of Judges, Gideon had to face the Midianite army. And when it says he looked over the cliff at the enemy army, it said that, the lo that his, his camels were as thick as locusts. There were so many of them. He felt outnumbered. Or in the book of 2 Kings, Elisha and his servant they were coming against the Syrian army. And what did the servant say? Uh, Elisha, master, there's more of them than us. And Elisha says, no, greater are we 
than are those who come against us. And then he prayed and he said, God, open the servant's eyes. And when the serpent opened his eyes, he saw on the mountains, the horses, the chariots of fire from the heavenly realms outnumbered the enemy. In your darkness right now, maybe you feel outnumbered. Let me remind you that the Lord will open your eyes to show you that greater are those with you than against you. Number four, darkness will persecute purpose. Darkness will persecute purpose. You see, in Paul and Silas's case, where were they headed? They were headed to pray, to impact the kingdom of God in the realm of darkness. And this spirit was strategically assigned to come against their purpose. Now, I think it's fascinating because who was Paul previously? Paul was Saul. And he was literally partnered with the darkness. So at one point, he was territory of the kingdom of hell. And now he's operating ferociously for the kingdom of God. And the enemy was coming against him on assignment because he had purpose. Just imagine Maybe the gravity of the attack that's coming against you is because the purpose on the inside of you is significant. Maybe the enemy recognizes the threat that you pose to his realm because darkness will always persecute purpose. Now, we're going to keep reading, guys, because there's good news. I know I'm sharing a lot of the dark stuff, but we're going to end on the light, okay? Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says about midnight. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a dark hour. The darkest hour before dawn. Paul and Silas were sitting and sulking and licking their wounds. What? I'm sorry, I don't think it says that. I think it says... Paul and Silas were sitting there complaining about the darkness they were surrounded in. Nope. What does it say? Paul and Silas were praying. They were singing songs to the Father. The other prisoners were listening. That's key. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose, even the ones on their ankles, which I believe is where the phrase foot loose came from. (laughs) The jailer woke up and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul said with grace, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he said, what must I do to be saved? I want what you have. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. You and your neighborhood. You and the city of Charlotte. 
Then they spoke a word to the Lord and to him and to others in his house. At that hour, the jailer took the men, washed their wounds, and immediately him and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. There's a theme here, y'all. When it was daylight. Deep breath. Because daylight's coming. The magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go, go in peace. I love this story in the Bible. And man, sometimes I think we got to read the stories with that kind of passion and excitement to pump ourselves up. Anybody else do that? Maybe it's just me. Okay, other people too, good. All right. This is the good news. Your breakthrough is coming as well. Your dawn is coming as well. And listen, to defeat the darkness, just like we walked through the tactics of darkness, I wanna highlight the action of light that every single one of us needs to take in our darkness in order to defeat the enemy. Number one, prayer begets miraculous. Just before the radical occurred for Paul and Silas, it was midnight because it's always darkest before the dawn. And instead of sitting and sulking and complaining, they prayed and they worshiped. Now I want you to just get a picture here. They were probably bleeding. Their bodies were aching, pain that is indescribable, but they still prayed and sang songs to God. Their prayers came before the miraculous. And you know, the Lord convicted me in writing this. He said, Diana, in your darkness, are you praying and petitioning like you never have before? Are you fervently crying out to me, the only one who can save you from your darkness? Church, are we? Are we enlisting others to pray alongside of us? Because you know darn well, Paul and Silas were like, we got a captive audience right here. So we're gonna enlist them to pray alongside of us. Are we doing that as believers? Or are we hiding out? I can't let anyone know. I don't want to burden someone with my problems. Oh, that's bull honky, guys. Come on. That's why we do ministry moment every single weekend is so that you can bring your stuff to the altar of Jesus Christ and not walk away with it. We got to stand together in prayer. James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Guys, prayer is not passive. It is active. And there is power when we come together and pray. Not too long ago, a dear friend of mine at our South End campus called me and she said, Pastor D, I just got a report from the doctor 
and there's a cancerous tumor in my body. And I said, oh, uh uh-uh. You don't mess with my girl. So my husband and I grabbed our anointing oil. Anybody have oil? Keep it on hand. Anointing oil. We hopped in our car. We went to her house. And alongside of her husband, we laid laid hands on her. We prayed the miraculous that the Lord would heal her. Three days later, come on, somebody. The doctor calls and was like, um... The scans no longer show the tumor. I don't know what happened. We do. We do because we stood together and we prayed. Church, we got to pray before our miraculous. Number two, the prisoners are watching. The prisoners are watching. Paul and Silas had an audience, a captive Audience watching in the midst of their suffering. People are watching you as well. Now maybe the prisoners in your realm are your children. And they're watching how you handle yourself in your darkness. The prisoners in your realm might be your neighbors. They're watching how you handle the stuff that's been thrown at you. Maybe it's your coworkers, but might I just say, somebody is watching. And let me ask you this. Will they find a hot mess or a praising prisoner? Are you a hot mess? Or are you a praising prisoner? I love Philippians 1.27. I'm just going to read this first part. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mic drop. Conduct yourselves worthy. Matthew 5.15, Jesus' words. He says, if I make you light bearers, this is the message version. You don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? Don't you love that? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. You know what I love about this scripture? It's not conditional. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, hey, when things are good, shine your light bright. <laughs> no, it's unconditional. In other words, shine your, bli- your, your, blah, blah, blah. shine your light bright all the time. In fact, the light is going to shine the brightest in the darkest hour. Come on, somebody. Come on. Have you ever wondered... Why does God allow it to get so dark? He doesn't cause it, but why does he allow it to get so dark? And I believe because he's going, I just want my glory to shine bright through you. Number three, praise opens all prison doors. Turn to your neighbor and say all prison doors. That's right. Come on. Sometimes we got to say it out loud. My praise will open all the doors around me. Because in Paul and Silas's case, the earthquake hit. Their chains fell off. Their prison doors opened. 
not just those in the innermost prison, the entire prison. And it says they all got saved, not just the prisoners, but the jailer, his family. Come on, somebody, it kept going. Praise opens all prison doors. What does that look like for us? Are you praising in the midst of your darkness? Because somebody's on the other side. You know, there was a part of my story, my testimony, I kept in the dark for like 20 plus years until recently. And the Lord called me to share my testimony from this platform at our authentic conference. And then again last weekend in Washington State at a women's conference. And can I tell you, when I shared what I'd kept in the dark for so long, prison doors came flying open. Women came running back to the Father, running back to the purpose. Revelation 12, 11 tells us that the enemy will be defeated. How? By the blood of the lamb and the power of your testimony. What prison doors are on the other side of you shouting your testimony from the rooftops? Praise will open all prison doors. Number four, last one. Faith precedes freedom. Faith comes before freedom. Paul and Silas had to exercise their faith in their darkness, which meant they hadn't yet read the end of the story like we have. They're sitting there, not 100% certain how God is gonna show up but they still had a certainty about their faith. Are you certain about the God that you serve in your darkness? Because they had faith first and then the earthquake showed up. They had faith first And then the prison doors came open. They had faith first, and then daylight came. Then what does it say? I love it. The magistrate's like, you know what? Just let them loose, which I have to imagine that Satan is going to release you of your darkness because he's going to go, you know what? I don't want them to keep getting everybody around them saved, so I'm just going to let them go. Can you imagine if in your darkness you get so many people saved that the enemy's like, get them out of here. I want that to be me. I want the enemy to be like, don't mess with her. Don't tie her up because she's going to get all the prisoners saved. Your faith is going to come before your freedom even when it hurts. Your faith is going to come before your freedom even when it's hard. Your faith is going to come before your freedom, even when nobody believes you. Your faith will come before your freedom. Why? Because it was promised to you. And sometimes you have to stand on that promise, no matter what your darkness suggests. We experience darkness before the dawn because we can't yet see the sun. 
Notice the spelling there. That's Jesus. I know you've been in a dark place. Maybe you're there now. Can I tell you that the sun always rises? The dawn will always come. And darkness doesn't get the final say. God does. Somebody needed to be reminded of that in here today. God has the final say. Will you all stand to your feet? You know, there's another time in the Bible where it was darkest before the dawn. Jesus was betrayed by one of his very own. We've all faced betrayal. He was captured. He was accused. He was beaten. He was humiliated. And he hung on a cross with a sign, mind you, at the foot of that cross that said, King of the Jews. A sign mocking the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And Luke 23, verse 44 says, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Can you imagine? It's broad daylight. And all of a sudden it goes completely dark. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. You see, this moment was the darkest hour because the unblemished lamb, Jesus, the imperfect or the perfect sacrifice bore all of our sins, past, present, and future. And in this moment, he was literally separated from God, total and utter darkness. And on the third day, two women went to grieve at his burial site and they show up at a tomb where the stone had been rolled away. They walk inside and they find his grave clothes neatly folded. And they're wondering like, what in the world is going on here? In Luke 24 verse four, it says, while they were wondering, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning. Just imagine that flash of light because dawn had arrived and the sun had risen. If you can just close your eyes for just a minute. Just want you to imagine that we're back in that courtroom. And you are facing charges that are real that are deserved, 
You're seeing every ounce of your guilt flashing before your eyes, evidence after evidence after evidence. And the judge, God, looks at you. And for those who believe in Jesus, he doesn't see your sins. No, he sees that you've been washed white as snow, cleansed by the blood of the lamb. The scripture says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you're in here today and you don't know for certain that if your last breath was tomorrow, where your destiny of eternity would be, I wanna give you an opportunity of a lifetime. I wanna extend an invitation from Jesus himself to follow him. Listen, you don't have to have it all figured out. All you have to do is say yes. If that's you today, maybe for the first time, or maybe you just wanna come back home because you know you've wandered off. If that's you, will you just lift your hand right where you are? I want to pray over you. I want to celebrate you right where you are. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Church, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If I could just have everybody repeat after me loud enough so you can hear with your own ears. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus the light in a dark world. I surrender my darkness in exchange for the light that Jesus is. From this point forward, I will serve him and follow him all the days of my life. Amen.